Welcome back to the podcast, my friends. How is everyone holding up? I for sure am struggling, and I know that I am not alone. I feel like we've all been together at this horrible amusement park that is 2020, and instead of eating awesome food, riding fun rides, and watching great shows, instead we're on this unending stress ride that simply will not relent, like teacups that just spin on and on. Because of this, it feels like it's Xing out the normal kind of unclenching and breathing so many of us are often able to do each year in the summer in order to come back in the fall rejuvenated. I myself, sitting here in July of 2020, have only recently finished what I consider the 2019-2020 school year with my last of five online workshops for music educators. And I can tell you, I am tired. But just two weeks ago, everything in the what is the new school year going to look like because of COVID land ramped up exponentially. And to be honest, I woke up several times with physical anxiety. What do I do with my own kids and their schooling? What is my district going to do? Are we going to be face to face? Are we going to do a hybrid model? Will we start remotely? If so, when are they going to tell us and how do we prepare for that? And even if we can prepare for that, what are we going to do? How can I help thousands of music teachers who are going through the same and even worse stress? And it's here where you might expect that I have an answer for you. The good news is there are tons of amazing teachers out there who have been offering all kinds of online PD that you should definitely take advantage of to help you prepare for any of these eventualities. But me, I don't really have much practical stuff to tell you that you can do right now. But I do have a good word for you that I need to hear myself first. No matter what happens, if they make us teach math, if we have to go into school six times a week, if we have to teach outside in a treehouse in winter, we're going to make it to the other side. I am not saying it's going to be easy, And I certainly am not trying to candy coat it because I know that even though laughter helps us, this is ultimately not a laughing matter. Some of us might decide to retire early or be forced to quit early or have to take some kind of leave because we are in a high risk category and can't be in school in person. Some might have to take a real sabbatical. Some might get let go. And all of those things would be very, very painful and challenging. But we are not just our jobs. We are human beings who have to live our lives personally and professionally. And this is an incredibly hard and unique season. So we need to continue to cut ourselves slack. I have no logistical answers for you, but please know that you are not alone. And for me, sometimes that can make the difference. I'm trying hard not to be cliche and say, we'll get through this, because I know that can be annoying, and sometimes it honestly feels like we won't. Instead, I'm going to tell you that I'm glad you and I have each other, and that we as music teachers are not alone, even as we go through these massive challenges. We can do it. We might not do it well. We certainly won't do it in optimal settings, but we can do it. And now I want to turn to the last part of the series with the phenomenal Jasmine Fripp. If you've been listening to the podcast over the last season and watching and participating in the discussions about racism and bias on Facebook, you know that I'm earnestly 
though imperfectly looking for ways to grow and diversify our membership and to find ways to connect with outstanding black music educators and music educators of color from whom we can all learn. So I want to get to this last part of the interview with Jasmine because we really start talking about um, the brass tacks of getting that accomplished. Let's listen in. So, uh, as I said earlier, um, I am a member of and a part of the Feyerabend Association for Music Education. So that's fame. Uh, Dr. Feyerabend's philosophy uh, is centered around what he calls the 30-year plan. And that 30-year plan is every kid that goes through our programs, especially starting early childhood, elementary, late elementary, uh, is going to become, we're going to do our very best to make them tuneful, beatful, and artful. Um, and what that means is they're going to be able to sing in tune, right, to the best of their ability, uh, with a healthy production, you know, as much as possible. Uh, they're going to be able to move not only to steady beat, but understand meter, and that beat is broken up into meter. And, you know, initially that understanding is not something they can articulate, but something they can move to, right? And then the last one, as I brought up before, is artful. So I connect to the expressive part of whatever music I'm listening to, whether it's joy, sorrow, anger, you know, uh, ennui. I'm connecting to what the music is uh, meaning to me. So one way we think about it when we kind of say it, like, well, what does this mean practically? Well, you know, when you grow up, let's say you're not going to be a professional music musician, uh, you're going to be able to dance at a school dance. You're not going to be a kid who stands on the side feeling like I can't do that. You're going to go out there and move. Uh, you're going to dance at your wedding. You're going to sing happy birthday and not send everyone screaming out of the restaurant, you know, because you can sing well. You can sing any song you want. Um, and you're going to feel chills when you hear a piece of music that means something to you. Right? So anytime I'm talking about the philosophy of fame, Dr. Fireob, and it really, people really connect with it. You know, they like this idea. Uh, and so it's, uh, it hardly ever happens that people are not like, I want to learn more. I want to know, know more. I want to learn how to help my kids be kind of uh, intuitively musical. So that as they go forward in life, they're more prone to participate in music, right, and support music. They're musical. And learning notation, that's important, but not too soon, right? And what's important is that they are, we've connected them with that fundamental uh, musical part of the human heart. But honestly, a problem is this there we have thousands of members and people who love it but as i said to you when you saw this it's like a big loaf of wonder bread it's just white 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 um and we want to change i think we're figuring things out but let's say we brought you in to consult with us and you're kind of like, here's some, are there, is there a way to say, how can we connect with and appeal to teachers of color? What can we do? Are there practical ways, organic ways, not fake ways, like, uh, we need five black members, so go get, <laughs> do you know what I mean? But like, what can we do 
um, to make more diversity uh, in our membership and on our board. That's something like somebody asked me last year, well, why isn't the board more diverse? And I'm like, to be honest, I don't know how to do it. I'm outside of going to a black person and saying, would you like to join the organization? How do I do this? When I'm saying this, what do you think? Um, so initially when I was preparing for, um, when I was preparing for this interview for that particular question, I, I had like these two businesses in mind, Okay. uh, but I'm, I'm just going to stick with the musical side of things to where people can, uh, understand where I'm coming from. So Coachella, for instance, all right. Um, Coachella, if you look at the lineup from like the beginning, like back in 1999, I want to say up until now, like slowly but surely they've added more diversity to their lineup of artists for that music festival. Um, I want to say Jurassic Five was probably one of the first black acts, if I'm thinking correctly, as a hmm. black rap group. And then like your first black headliner from what I recall was Prince. And then like two years later they had Jay-Z and then they had Kanye. Now, like when you had Prince and Jay-Z and Kanye, like they had like one or two black musical acts who, or maybe a couple more, but what they weren't like major names um, that people could readily identify. But like these past couple years, they've been on it. Like they've had black headliners and they've had way more black acts throughout the weekend festivities. But baby, when they got Beyonce. I, I remember hearing about it. Honey. <laughs> honey. Like that was probably the smartest mm. business move that Coachella did because not only did they bring Beyonce, I want to say it was the weekend and Eminem. So your headliners are, they cater to a lot of, of black people. Um, Eminem, he's a white rapper and white people love his music, but don't get it twisted. Don't get it twisted. Like rap is a black art form and people Mm -hmm. love that. And then on top of that, like the other acts that they had, like Cardi B and Migos and DJ Khaled and, um, Tank and the Bangers, like, and they even, they bought the Latino community out too, because they had the Los Angeles Azuelas. Okay. I, I want to say that's the I name don't know. of it. Forgive me if I mispronounced it, but that bought out the uh, Latino community too. And now they're starting to add more like K-pop and whatnot. So I was like, huh, let me see the board of directors. So Here's the thing, Xavier Irving, Felicia Yang, and Corey Anderson. Xavier is the person who's in charge of the diversity and music initiative for Coachella. And then you have Felicia Yang. She's the person responsible for uh, international talent management. So she's helping seek out all of this talent. And then Corey Anderson, he's the person who's responsible for your sponsorship. So like having major sponsorships like Google, Netflix, and whatnot. Um, But these three people, I I feel, played a major part in diversifying the acts of Coachella. Do I know if they're white or black or another person of color? I have no idea. 
because I searched all over God's good internet <laughs> for their picture. But that goes to my point in my letter. I never said white people can't do this. What I'm saying is you either need to consult a black person who's very knowledgeable or hire an expert. Like I said before, just because you're white doesn't make you wrong. If you know, you know. Um, and I encourage you to hire black peers because they're one promoting black businesses yet again. Two, um, they are going to be knowledgeable and they're going to be way more sensitive to, you know, the black culture. Uh, but you know, just just consult an expert. Okay. And what? Long story short, you need to start from within. The board of directors is going to dictate a lot of it. So hire black people, but be careful on who you hire. Don't just hire to say we have a black face. Don't right. just hire somebody for face value because, you know, everybody, every black experience is a black experience, no matter if we have a different black experience, but not all black people speak for black people or can't sure. speak for black people. For instance, yeah. Candace Owens, very right. intelligent, but she does not speak for black people like myself. She cannot hmm. speak for black people like myself. And she's very intelligent. She backs up her resources and everything, but you know, you don't want to mess around and hire a Candace Owens thinking you're about to bring diversity when she goes along with your ideals. Right. Um, make sure that you have that diverse body of people and those experts so that you can create a system of checks and balances. And don't just hire black people because you feel they're going to know all about black music. We are so much more than our blackness. Like we are doctors, we are lawyers, we are preachers, we're teachers, we go to the moon, we create inventions. Like we can do so much more. Don't just hire us to speak on black issues, but definitely start from within, diversify your board and that audience will come. Mm. The, okay. the audience will come. So start from within so that you can work your way outward and get the yeah. body of listeners that you want. Yeah. And I, and I want to sometimes like there have been times when I've just wanted to, you know, on our Facebook page, there's 11,000 people. And sometimes I just want to say, there's got to be black educators here. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. come talk to me, you know, but I'm like, I really have, that's one of the rare times in my life when I'm questioning myself, like, is that a bad thing to do? Because I really am like, how can I know if you're not, if I can't, if I don't know you? So yeah. I'm trying to put myself out there. But maybe, you know, people will hear this. And I'm not saying I want, you know, okay, all the black people have to come to me. <laughs> that's yeah. not, it's like, how do I proceed? That's, that's what I want to know. And I like this idea of going to the experts um, and asking them to participate. That, I think another thing was, like, is it weird to go to somebody who doesn't know our organization and say, would you, you know, come talk to us? And yeah. I don't think it is. And so I think that's a good thing to do. And I think one thing with Black people, and, well, I'm going to just speak personally, and if you relate, you relate. Um, I, I feel like it's a struggle for some Black people like myself because it's like, I don't know your true intentions. Right. Like, like yeah. are you, are you just doing that because you want to say, Hey, we have more black faces or right. are you 
doing this because you truly and authentically care about yeah. the body of people that you're reaching. You care about the culture of the people and their yeah. lives. Like that yeah. plays a major factor. And I know like there's a lot of people, a lot of black people out there who don't mind like working in white spaces, but at the same time, like the people that they hang out with, the white people that they hang out with, they truly care about their life. Some of these white people really do care about these black lives. Black lives to them really matter. And they're willing to put in the work and educate themselves. But it is such a tricky situation and it's such a tricky game to play and like opening yourself mm -hmm. up and just being who you are without being judged, without someone saying, oh, what you're doing is wrong just because of who you are. Like it's. Yeah. No, I, I know because I'm on the opposite side of it, right? You're on the, you know, and I think what happens is you have to build real relationships. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think that's why last year when a couple people were like, why aren't you getting, um, you need more, you need like, uh, people of color on your board and I'm like I know but I can't just go and <laughs> say come be on our board right now you know I, I don't have a relationship uh to do that if that makes sense and so it's it's just like trying to bridge that gap how do I how do we I you know make these relationships without it seeming disingenuous which is kind yeah. of speaking to what you're saying so I'm not gonna go like oh hi I, I see this lady Jasmine Fripp she's black hey can you, you know, can we start make, being friends? And then also, can you serve on the board of this? <laughs> do you know yeah. what I mean? That's yeah. horrible. I don't want to do that. And yet I felt pressure because people are like, you have to diversify. And I'm like, it's it's like moving. It's just this gigantic iceberg that I have to like move. And mm -hmm. so maybe just having the conversations is where it starts. Yeah. And like and inviting people like myself yeah. or... Um, arrangers composers black educators to come and speak on your podcast yeah because no, we're ultimately going to promote it to our friends and family who in turn will listen yeah, and our true. music educator friends like or like what you're doing right now having this conversation to me is a step forward in the right direction i hope so this is kind of like the last two questions of course it's a huge question but just if you feel comfortable give me a response to this uh, I shared a little bit about this with you but I'll I'll read out the question I had written to you um, fame related also uh, the majority of our membership is elementary uh, based so that we do have a lot of middle school people some high school people and a lot of people who do both or like some combination of positions which is kind of crazy but we have people who are teaching elementary and teach high school choir at the mm -hmm. same time. Um, there is a lot of there has been a lot of debate in the past, uh, way too much as far as I'm concerned. Thankfully, less, at least in our organization, um, about how to handle repertoire that we know uh, or we learn has racist meaning or racist background. So I'm proud of the the small amount of work that we've done to get to a place where we're not debating this anymore at fame, if that makes sense. Cause there are still places who are debating it. Um, like, are we whitewashing history by taking out these songs or, um, and I'm talking about for elementary school. So I'm not talking about for college. Yeah. I'm not talking about for high school. Um, when you hear 
educators arguing over this. Uh, should we be teaching these songs uh, to young children um, or accusing us of erasing history, or, as I said, whitewashing history by removing songs like Johnny on the Woodpile, Five Little Monkeys, stuff like this out of the elementary classroom? What's your response um, as somebody who maybe is not involved in this particular kind of debate as much as we are? Yeah, I, I definitely have not heard of this debate. I didn't really? know it was a thing. Oh, it's um, a thing. Uh, I, <laughs> I can imagine how it's a yeah. thing. Because, like, even with my daughter, like, you know, Five Little Monkeys, that's all over YouTube. That pops up. Yeah. And she she wants to sing it. And she wants to, like, jump on the bed to it. And I'm just like, one little Carmen jumping yeah. on the bed. <laughs> right, right. And deep in my heart, I'm just like, I really wish you would stop singing. It's right. One of this phase in. Because, like, right. the woke part of me is just like, mm, I don't like the way this feels. I don't like the way it tastes. And John Johnny on the woodpile, I was like, I, I listened to it at first because I never heard it before. And I was like, okay, what's wrong with the song? And I was like, history. Uh, uh, yes. And then you're like, okay. <laughs> and like the first word I saw was uh, yes. niggers. I was just yep. like, oh my God. Oh like, yeah. Y'all are really letting this slide in school? Like, the, no. That. If I if I found out my daughter was learning stuff like this, like I would be livid. <laughs> yes, livid. we have we have tried to explain this, but yes. not but but if you ever come to our side for a little while. Um, And you look at the debates that we're having. I don't mean to mock them because they're, you know, but it it's it just happened again. Somebody put out this article and for some reason it went to like seven major music ed pages for elementary. And it the whole thing started again about minstrel songs. And Mm -hmm. and it was like I keep saying we're past this now like we're not we are removing these songs because it's the right thing to do it's the right Mm -hmm. thing to do and let's just think protectively if a mom googles that song like you did for two Mm -hmm. seconds and sees that do you want to be the person who's like oh yes that's the song we performed in our preschool uh you know goodbye ceremony right so you're not of the mindset, I'm guessing, that taking these songs out of um, the elementary classroom and preschool classroom is some kind of disservice to our students. Uh, I, <laughs> um, look, there are so many other songs that you can really teach them that would teach your basic rhythms, like help yeah. your child feel like... There are a lot of songs. You know, I, yeah. And <laughs> right. like... Me personally, I've experienced this twice. So one, you don't want to put your child in a position where they grow up and later in life, they reflect on the songs they used to sing and they mm-hmm. really sit there sit there and think about it. And you're just like, yep. what was my teacher <laughs> thinking? Like I found out a song that we learned in elementary school, like just going back and forth with somebody because of the post. And he was like, yeah, uh, hang a ring a ring, ching cha. It's a minstrel song. Mm-hmm. I was like, I had no idea. And she had black and white kids singing it hard. Oh, I'm, I'm just really glad. I don't know how to frame this. I'm, 
I'm not glad to bring you pain. I'm glad to hear your honest response because I think we have so many people who are like, this is ridiculous. You know, just the song doesn't mean that anymore and blah, 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 blah. You know, just kind of like, it's kind of what we see today, just this kind of deflection mm-hmm. of, and I keep saying, I think you have to ask yourself at a certain point, why are you defending these mm-hmm. songs? Um, there are literally hundreds of songs. Other so songs. If I, yeah, if our end goal is to help children become tuneful, beatful, and artful, and our main vehicle is songs and rhymes, you know, and games, we have a plethora of choice. So my question to a person who is so upset is, what is this saying about you? That mm-hmm. you are like, so I'll give an example. Um, there's a song called Chicken on the Fence Post. And I loved that song. Taught it to my kids. It's circle game. They love the game. And found out it has some very negative connotations. That was painful for me. Right? Mm-hmm. And for one minute, I was like, dang it. <laughs> right? Like, why that song? And then I was just like, well, oh, well. Cut it out. The end. Replace it. I don't have to replace it exactly. But, you know. There are tons of game songs that little kids can play that don't need to bring pain, um, whether presently or in the future, to our students. Uh, And so I'm just glad to hear somebody who didn't really know about all this kind of have that response. Because a lot of times it's, oh, here we go. It's the political correct, you know, it's like, no, it's racist. And you should not do that. And if you dare come at me with you're taking history away or censorship or burning books, it's like, did I ever say nobody should ever learn? about? I think you should teach that song to college students and talk about mm-hmm. how music was used to mock and hurt people. Um, Absolutely. But my five-year-old does not need to sing it. Um because my five-year-old right now doesn't care about history. So don't pretend like you care about teaching a second grader about history. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like, you just like that song and you're mad or you've got bigger issues going on. So absolutely. I guess I was just hoping that you agreed with me. I won't lie. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. And I I truly do. Because like kids aren't stupid. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, they retain a lot of information, and when they go back and they think about the songs they used to sing in their elementary school choir, or the fact, I I have a story about this as well, the fact that you have them play roles within um, middle and high school where they're only subjected to play a specific role, and it comes from either historical context or um, stereotypes, That's that's a problem. Sure. Like, why are we subjecting our kids to that? And I'll tell you the story. And yeah, so I went to School of the Arts and every other year we would do a musical. So this particular year I was in 11th grade and they decided to do Big Big River. Keep in mind, we have enough black kids. We have enough white kids to knock it out. Um so I went to an audition because I was like, I need to get experience in like being a musical. But then like I looked at the callback auditions or like the the list of people who made it in. I got in, but like the only roles that were allowed for black kids were slaves. It was either the head slave or just a in the background slave. Right. 
and then you know like teachers and some students have spoken out about it but once again as i said before my head was in the books and i just was like you know I, i'm just not going to do the the musical period and mm-hmm. i just x myself out of it because i i wasn't about to stay after school just to rehearse being a slave not right 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 um then two years later after i graduated they do the whiz um for those of you who don't know the whiz is the black version of the wizard of oz um and the kids were excited i was upset because i really wanted to do the whiz but that's size point um <laughs> And, you know, we had enough black kids, had enough white kids. Do you know that they chose to make Tin Man white? And they had a black Dorothy and a white Dorothy. What? Black Dorothy would perform for the schools during the day. White Dorothy would perform for for the community at night. Okay. And they did it to make things fair. <laughs> so now we're on Facebook. We're all friends on Facebook. And we're talking about the microaggressions that were passed through. That was pretty macro. But there were some other little microaggressive things that teachers would do to us to say that our blackness doesn't matter. <sighs> and now we're we're... 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, and reflecting on these things. Yeah, that's exactly what I don't want to happen to our students. And the thing that many, not all, but many people are like, oh, it's ridiculous. Um, I just think it's like everything. We want to hang on to what we want to hang on to. Um, But you can't at a certain point. You just can't. You have to do better. Like, I think America, one of America's, especially the South, one of their biggest issues that they cling on to tradition, quote unquote, so much. And it's like, what's so great about clinging on to a racist past? Yeah. Like, it's a good question. People won't go through it again or do it again. Like, why do we have to teach Johnny on a woodpile when in reality it's niggers on a woodpile? Right. Like, and (laughs) I, I. I said that word not because I, I want to perpetuate the cycle of using the N word or whatever, but I'm saying that because if you feel conviction about it, you know it's wrong. Yeah. And, you know, tears will fertilize the soil my ancestors bled on, and from it, trees of knowledge and action will grow. You hear it, you know that it's wrong, it's pulled on your heart, mm. it's tugged on you. Now, what actions, knowing this this piece of information, what actions are you going to take now? Notice I didn't say white tears. Notice I didn't say black tears. Mm-hmm. Little white girl, what are you going to do? How are you going to positively make a change? Little mm-hmm. black boy, you see that this continues to happen to you. What are you going to do to make that change a positive one so that this cycle can stop? That's a big question. It's the question we all have to be asking. It's the question, uh, you know, in this era of what's happening right now. It's the question every human, we have to face it. And I just think I get it. Um, I said this the other day on Facebook. I get if the truth is pointed at you, like I said before, it hurts. 
mm-hmm. if there if it seeks something in you and it hits it, I get feeling angry, upset, called out, embarrassed, humiliated. You know, what I do not understand is continuing in that posture. That's what I don't understand. Mm-hmm. And so uh, last year, somebody said something very hard to me. Um, and I was I was like hitting every uh, trope of white fragility. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> you, you know, you're hurting my feelings. I'm crying. And um, why you have to be so mean? And blah, 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 all this stuff. And then by God's grace, I did something. And I just said, you know what, let me just stop. Uh, let me think about what you just said about me. Because I don't think I am a racist, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, And I just have to think. I have to think instead of keep reacting. Mm -hmm. And it's like everything changed for me, honestly, in that moment uh, where I said, first of all, I'm doing the very thing I say I hate, which is dismissing something that might be the truth. And so that's what I see just over and over and over again. It's like, listen to what I'm telling you. Your black brothers and sisters are telling you they're in pain and have been for hundreds of years. You're telling them they're not. (laughs) So um, that's just bad faith. (laughs) Like That's not how we treat other humans. And so when I hear teachers arguing over this, it's maddening. And I'm sorry to see it, but I'm hopeful that some progress is happening. Um, and in that spirit of hope, Jasmine, we made it to the last question. <laughs> you didn't think it would happen. <laughs> we were going to like move in together at a certain point. Like your daughter's coming over here. Mm-hmm. We're going to go get some popsicles. <laughs> Yes, because you're like uh, Dr. Missy will not shut up. So, <laughs> which is all the time. Okay, so in this spirit of educators wanting to move forward, wanting to to make a change in their lives and in their practice, and therefore in their students' lives, do you have recommendations? Um, I'm going to just name a list. You say whatever comes to your mind. Um, composers, conductors. Um, you talked about some music educators already, the, the big three A's, the triple A battery. I got mm-hmm. it. Um, and also, or black educators and music educators and people you think uh, will help white people really learn and grow that we can follow social media, books, movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, if there are any things that strike you, uh, I would love to hear it because I think we're in an information age. And so, like I said before, I listened to that um, podcast, The Score, and I've been reading the books that people have recommended more slowly than I should. Uh, are there any, even just one or two educators who are currently with us, you know, and talking that you would recommend, and like I said, any composers or conductors who you think, um, yeah, these are people you need to watch and learn from. Yeah, um, so of course the AAA battery pack, Dr. Ames, Dr. Anton Armstrong, Dr. Andre Thomas, um, Rosephany Powell, 
Um, I performed her work a long time ago and it, her work is just dope. And she's a great clinician from the videos that I've seen, very energetic, um, full of life. Um, the man who is why I am even a music educator, Dr. Jeffrey Redding, he tours all over the country and gives clinics. Um, and he's just, I think mm. he's done a TED talk. Like I stalked him for a little Ooh. while. A lot. Hey, that's all right. <laughs> a little stalking never hurt anyone. Yep. <laughs> and then of course, like you have your standards, um, HT Burley. He's the reason why a lot of these spirituals were translated and, turned into um art songs he has okay. a whole book on them um just a hairston apparently he has like some really great videos um nathaniel debt um he's his work is phenomenal um victor johnson isaac cates let me tell you he is a ram in the butch he is like heaven since like his ear is immaculate. He's a composer and arranger and he has his own group. Hmm. Um, and he had, he currently has a video called hold on that I used for a clinic last week. And when I saw the video, when I said I was in a pool of tears and he was so generous of his resources, his time. And I believe that he goes and he does clinics and whatnot. So by all means, reach out to Isaac Cates, um, okay. Dr. Brandon Boyd. He's a fabulous conductor clinician. He's at the university of Missouri. Um, and he does, he does arrange his own music. Um, Dave Ragland, he's a great, um, composer Nashville based um, right now he has his own group uh, and he is Emmy nominated Ooh. so yeah he 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 does great work um, I'm going to start a war when I say this amongst oh, the uh, HBCUs but uh -oh. uh, Dr. Jason Ferdinand he his choir had his choir is phenomenal and uh, that particular choir has gone on to win several awards, including like top choir of the world, like the world choir games. Yeah. His choir is phenomenal. Okay. Phenomenal. Uh, Dr. Everett Powell from Clark Atlanta University. Um, Marcus Garrett, he is from the University of Nebraska. I want to mm -hmm. say Lincoln, but he, oh my gosh, you ever had a plate? from Thanksgiving and had the macaroni and cheese and yams touch mm -hmm. Dr. Jason Ferdinand's <laughs> group from Oakland University did a piece by Marcus Garrett. Oh. <gasps> One of the most beautiful things I heard. Um, Dante Webb, he taught at this school out in Memphis for like four years. Then he went on to teach at an HBCU and now he's getting his doctorate from Florida State University. He just got accepted to the program, started that. But he's phenomenal. Uh, I'm, I'm giving you a lot of jewels. No, that's here's, good. Here's one white person who works at a HBCU. Like she's the choir director over Tennessee State University's Meister Singers and a University Chorale. Um, Dr. Susan Kelly is phenomenal. Okay. She this is, is great. phenomenal. Um, my girl, uh, Maria Ellis, girl conductor, 
She has her own. Oh, brand. yes. But, I oh, follow her and Marcus Garrett. See. Oh, yes. Maria is such a, she's such a positive person. And uh, her work is amazing. I love yeah, her. Yeah, she's great. She seems but, great. I don't know her. Yeah, she is. Um, Shanice Smith. Um, she used to teach at the school that I taught at in Orangeburg, South Carolina. She had that program for 26 years. And those went to Carnegie Hall. Like, <sighs> yeah. She's phenomenal. Nita Smith from IT Crestwell in Nashville, Tennessee. She had some of the dopest choirs, especially back in the day. She was over Hunter Lane's um, show choir, and they were like, they were a phenomenal group. Mm. Margaret Campbell Holman, she's like a mother figure to me, and she works within the community. Um, and she she's the reason for a lot of our Nashville singers um, mm. having the voice the platform the experiences that they have today interesting um, yeah you were talking about people in um music education as far as elementary side franklin willis he's a yeah. yeah, oh my gosh he he's a black man and when i say in three years he did some phenomenal work with that choir from um andrew jackson elementary like they have a music video, they performed Carrie Underwood's song. It got national attention. They ended up performing at the CMAs. Like they're amazing. Um, Alex Bermel, he's a black music educator. He's he was at Clover Middle School, um, which was the top um, middle school group in South Carolina. But now he's the assistant choir director for Clover High School. Uh, don't tell nobody, but I think he'll be taking over that choir soon. Mm. And he's he's been a prodigy for forever. Right. Like, he's been amazing. Uh, Mary Knox, um, she's a sorority sister of mine. She does amazing work with her group. Um, Jason, Dr. Jason Dungey, um, he is the guy who took over for Isaiah McGee. Both of them you should follow. They're working at Clapham University. He has done a phenomenal job. Um, Adrian Macklin. Um, he is over at a school in Memphis, and he has a predominantly black choir. Those mm. kids sing. Um, David Richardson, he's a black guy. He's over uh, Somerville High School. And I want to say he may still be conducting the spiritual choir for the Charleston Symphony Orchestra. Patrick Ooh. Daly is a gem. Okay. Patrick Daly is a gem. He has the H.T. Burley Festival every single year. Um, he And he brings in all different types of people. And the concert that he throws, and he's over the W. Crim Singers, a.k.a. the Wakanda Chorale. Like, he is a gem. Ooh. Okay. He is a gem. Have him on your podcast. It is I was just. I was just going to say, I'm, I might be asking you to give me a... a good list of people to talk to oh yeah and then i got like three more uh yeah let's so, hear it yeah brandon spencer he's an up-and-coming composer and arranger his work is very phenomenal i want to say he arranged a piece he set a choral piece to uh one of tupac's songs whoa and i was like holy crap oh i want to hear that but, yeah but let me double check and then uh dre pinson he is over Southwind's choir and he's a rising star as well. He's doing a phenomenal job. Mm. Um, as far as like other genres of music, I'm a hip hop head. So one thing that I would advise people to watch is Evolution of Hip Hop on Netflix. 
Like I watch it like I anticipate the next season of Stranger Things. Like I, I just <laughs> love that show um, because it's so informative. But um, yeah, there are so many other documentaries out there um, and just, that's all I got for you. Um, that's all you got. <laughs> that was an amazing list. And um, I might be asking you in a little while to help me make that list and we'll put it on the page uh, yeah. so people can just look up those people and follow them. Uh, because I think f it's so strange. I remember last year somebody saying to me, just start following some black people on Twitter. And I remember mm -hmm. saying like, I remember saying like, that's such a dumb, like, it seems like, what can you learn? You know, and I like Twitter. I like Twitter. Okay. You know, mm -hmm. I have learned so, 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 so much. Um, which leads me to deeper learning. You know, it's like, I'll watch an educator and, and really like, I really like, you know, what she's saying. And then it's like, oh, she wrote a book. Let's look at that book or one day, you know, have her on the podcast or recommend her. So I think these are steps that might seem small, but small steps are okay. Keep mm -hmm. moving forward. Um, I am really looking forward to seeing what happens in your career uh, I have every confidence that big things are on the horizon for you, which speak means, it, yep, it, yep. <laughs> and I, I just can't thank you enough for being willing, uh, to sit down for all this time. Uh, we probably have a whole year's worth of podcasts at this <laughs> point. There's so much to learn. I mean, I appreciate it. I hope you'll come back one day yes, and I, we can I talk about what you're doing. <laughs> yes. And I, I thank you for your generosity of spirit. I, I appreciate that. Thank Absolutely. you for being here. Thank, thank you. you for having me. This you're has welcome. been awesome. Yeah. And you, me, Beyonce. Mm -hmm. um, one more time. Happen. It's going to mm -hmm. happen. Coach. We'll probably be at Coachella mm -hmm. hanging out in her, uh, probably she has a whole room. compound out mm -hmm. there and there'll be a it whole probably. music music ed wing because she probably wants to honor the music ed people mm -hmm. you think she likes a half filipino mm -hmm. girl i'm just saying you know mm -hmm. <laughs> like, talk to the half filipino girl and the black girl I, like, i'm going as jasmine's out. assistant like i'm okay. i'm jasmine's representation so okay <laughs> But you might have to fight my mama for that role because she's oh, already. No. I, I don't fight. I don't fight mamas. <laughs> moms always win. I, my kids don't. My kids don't ascribe to that. But other people's moms always win. Yay to the moms! Thank yes, you, moms. moms. Shout out to moms. <laughs> oh, I really appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate you too. Thank you so much. I am so grateful that Jasmine was willing to be on the podcast over the past three episodes. Thank you, Jasmine, for sharing your many gifts with me and with our listeners. And I'm honored to count you as my friend. I look forward to seeing the next steps in your career. I'm excited for you and for all of us who will continue to learn from you. As for me, I'm signing off until season three for real this time. And I'll see you in the fall when we will keep talking about doing all we can to create a more tuneful, beatful, artful world.